Welcome to the Inclusion in Progress podcast, where we give you the ideas, actions, and insights to help you build more equity at your workplace and in the world at large. I'm your host, Kate Fabella, international expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, a Filipino-American living in Spain, and your guide in navigating this DEI journey. Having worked with teams at companies such as Philips, the IMF, Red Hat, PepsiCo, and more, I know firsthand that the work of inclusion only works when everyone has a seat at the table. Regardless of your personal entry point into this conversation, your race, ethnicity, gender, ability, age, sexual orientation, country of origin, or educational background, we all have a role to play in creating inclusion for all. And it starts with us having conversations we need to create the change we wish to see. So let's dive into today's episode. Hey, welcome back to the show. So as we shared back in episode 115, we will be interviewing some of our past clients over the next few podcast episodes who we have partnered with with our company Inclusion in Progress on implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organizations. Now today's episode features Regina Lawless, formerly the DEI head of Instagram and the current founder of Bossy and Blissful. Before starting Bossy and Blissful, Regina served as the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI at Instagram, where she partnered with IIP. She's also worked with Fortune 500 companies across various industries, including the likes of Target, Intel, and Micron Technology, leading equity, justice, and inclusion initiatives in workplaces. Now Regina has built a wellness community for Black women executives and business owners that helps them find purpose beyond their paycheck in order to experience more bliss in their lives and sustainable success at work and at home. She holds a master's degree in organizational development and lives in the Bay Area with her partner and teenage son. Her first book, Do You, will be published in partnership with Fast Company in February 2024. Regina is not only one of our esteemed client partners, but a dear friend of Team IIP too. We're excited to share how we met and her story with you as one of the practitioners that we admire the most. So let's dive in. All right. So I'm excited to have our guest on today for this series where we're basically playing catch up with all of our favorite client partners and showcasing what it's like to work with Team IAP behind the scenes. And so obviously we've reached out to several of our favorites and I am beyond excited to introduce Regina Lawless on this podcast. Welcome to the show, Regina. Thank you. And Kay, you know, I'm always excited to talk to you and your team. So I was thrilled when you all asked me to be on the podcast. We're so thrilled to have you. And obviously, we can't wait to highlight a bit more, not just about your expertise, but also your incredible work. Let's go ahead and dive right in. We're asking all of the people that we're having on this show to share a little bit about their DEI journey, which, as we know, is never linear. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever you're ready, uh, tell us your story, Regina. Yeah, my DEI journey started later in my career. So um, I've been in the HR field for almost 20 years now, and I started as an HR business partner 
I was working in the retail sector. Back then it was called an HR representative. I was responsible for coaching and consulting managers on policies and being the go-to person for employees that had various issues in the workplace. But then over the course of my career, I wanted to do more strategy work because I found that in the regular course of my HR day, I was doing a lot of reactive work. So people coming to me with every problem under the sun, which was entertaining sometimes, but (laughs) also (laughs) draining. Fast forward, I pursued a degree in organizational development, which is really a fancy way to say change management. So I started down that path and that led me into the tech industry. And then within tech, I started to learn more about DEI because the tech industry is one of those industries that definitely is always in need of more diversity and and, and more representation across the spectrum. I went from having a DEI champion on my team to eventually moving to my next company where I was head of L&D and talent management. And then I had DEI programs. And then that was the spark. I really enjoyed the, the DEI programs and the leadership programs we were doing for women. That's where I decided like, ah, oh, I would really love to do this full time because it, it, it would incorporate my love of change management. How do you get organizations to think differently, behave differently. And then you infuse that with DEI, which I've always been a lifelong champion of equity and justice. That's what led me firmly into a global DEI role. And then in 2020, I ended up with Instagram. So they hired me to be their first head of DEI. And that's, of course, Kay, where you and I met. Yes, it is. And we'll we'll make sure that we touch base a bit on this next chapter of your journey that we're finding you in today. But we were very excited when we first had a chance to connect with you officially as IIP. And obviously, I was very thrilled to connect with you before that. And like you said, 2020, it feels like forever ago. <laughs> it does. I almost said 2000, if you heard that. I was yeah. <laughs> That's how long ago it feels like it was. Oh my goodness. No, it's the pandemic time warp for sure. (laughs) I think one of the things that Team IAP and I, we were all trying to figure out, well, what do we want to highlight on the show when we reached out? And one of the things that we hear often is we've covered so many things on the podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But one of the things that we haven't really shown the behind the scenes of is what it's like to work with, in our case, as external contractors and what that partnership looks like when you're with an internal champion or a stakeholder who is leading that particular, whether it's a program or initiative internally. And I know that you've worked with several external contractors before with us, obviously, when you were at Instagram, but also before at Micron and in other capacities. What have you gained from partnering with external contractors? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, throughout my career, I've worked with external contractors. When I was leading L&D and talent management at a company called Flex, Flextronic, that's where I really got to see the power of that external engagement. I had a team, but my team was mostly focused on project management. I had some internal consultant roles on my team, but I didn't have a lot of facilitators and we didn't have the capacity to actually design programs, not full scale for the organization. 
we partnered quite a bit with external firms and external consultants to help us to design our programs and in some cases to help us deliver them. That was my first experience of like, okay, this could be a really good way to not only like augment my staff from a number standpoint, but also bring in expertise that I didn't have in-house. And so that worked really well. And then continued to do that at Micron, brought on some vendors to help us build out our inclusive learning portfolio at Instagram. We, as a company, because Instagram is owned by parent company, Facebook, now Meta, we had a ton of resources. So initially I didn't have to go outside, but here's where I think external partnership still comes in play. Even though technically I could have gotten almost everything I needed to be done in-house, I found value in the external perspective. Okay, when you and I originally connected when I was at Micron, I wanted to partner with you and IIP at Instagram because you had a global perspective that I think at the time we were lacking. We were very U.S. and North America centric. That's the other power, I think, of bringing in external partners is that they have the benefit of not only working with multiple companies, they can see what's best in class, but also in your case, being a, a global firm, being based overseas, I felt that you all brought in that perspective as well for us, which was really valuable. Yeah. And we loved working with you all. I think it's something to piggyback off of what you said. It really is a privilege when we get to come in and offer support. And I've jokingly referred to it as when your favorite aunt comes to visit. <laughs> Everybody behaves a little bit better when somebody right. else is in the room. <laughs> So true. <laughs> and so when it comes to the facilitation or some of the harder conversations, or even as you said, when a learning and development program needs a little bit of external support or a perspective that's not currently offered, there really is a beautiful symbiosis that comes out of a partnership where you have somebody who can really focus on what their remit is in-house with the support of an external partner. I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective more of when somebody is considering embarking on working with an external contractor or vendor as an in-house practitioner, what are the benefits that they would gain from that kind of partnership? And what are the ways that they could advocate for that internally as they're trying to build, say, for example, a business case or gain buy-in from stakeholders internally? For me, I found the benefits are opening up as an internal person, the aperture of what's even possible. I think oftentimes it's easy to get insular and it's easy to get just bogged down. And this is the way we've always done things, or especially larger companies, you have your legacy programs that you may have run for years and years. And you start to, I think, lose some competitive advantage when you're not consistently updating those programs and looking for how to make them best in class. For example, when we worked with UK at Instagram, when we brought your team in, you all did a fantastic job of doing some virtual facilitation for us, taking a program that would have been logistically difficult to do during the pandemic. It would have been hard for us to do ourselves to, to pull that off virtually. You already had the expertise of running 
virtual programs and you you all pulled it off extremely well. So that's something where I could have just struggled in-house and we could have just muddled through and tried some things. But I think the real benefit of partnering with someone externally is bringing in a fresh perspective, but also bringing in expertise in areas that you don't have. And if I was trying to make a business case, that's, those are the two things I would anchor to because no company, no matter how how big you are, no matter how many resources, you're not going to always be able to cover every angle. There are people that do things better than you can as an organization. So it, to me, makes a ton of sense to go and hire for that expertise when you need it or new perspective. Love that. There's so many different conversations we could have about that collaboration, but I wanted to kind of zoom out again and ask you a little bit more about DEI because another common thing that we hear from listeners on the show is I'm considering and getting into DEI work? What do I need to know? And I know for you specifically at the time that we're connecting, you've just founded your own company as an extension of your mission in equality and equity and inclusion and justice. I would really love to hear you were speaking to Regina maybe 20 years ago or a version of you 20 years ago. What advice would you have given her at the start of that journey? And what would you want her to know? Oh my goodness, so much. <laughs> First thing would be pace yourself. I think that's the biggest, when I'm asked by particularly college students now, I say pace yourself. I had a lot of angst earlier in my career about, oh, by this stage, by this many years, or by this age, I should be a director or a VP. And as I know now, and as many of us seasoned professionals know now, it does not happen that easy. And I would say, especially getting into DEI, it's one of those fields that is challenging to get into because there's, there's, I've not met anyone that has a direct path. It, it usually is you come in through some HR lane typically, but not always. But that in and of itself, I'd give myself the not only pace yourself, but follow your instincts. Because when I first got a taste of DEI, but at that point in my career, it wasn't a full-fledged function. It was one diversity officer that was working through the other functions within HR to do a program here or there or to have some goals for the company. Now, of course, DEI has matured into a full-fledged function, but it's it still is a difficult field to be in because for most of the folks that are in DEI, typically you're from an underrepresented background. So you already have the historical barriers and real-time challenges that underrepresented folks faced in majority organizations. So you're dealing with that, plus trying to advocate for other people who are underrepresented or marginalized in your organization or in your community. So it's definitely not for the faint of heart, but it's super rewarding. And for me, what I found, I think in organizations, it's easy to get bogged down because because there are all kinds of stakeholders and, and laws and policies that you have to navigate. It takes a really long time to get traction. It takes a lot of consistent effort and a lot of people rowing in the same direction to make progress in DEI. But once you do, it's amazing. So I think for me, having been in corporate for almost 20 years, I started to get tired of having to navigate all of that corporate structure. So I decided I wanted to leave corporate and work for myself, but I still kept the mission of DEI and equity in my business. I founded a company called Bossy and Blissful. 
Our mission is to help high-achieving Black women executives balance their success with joy and peace. So to find sustainable success because of my experience of growing up in corporate as a Black woman leader and all of the burnout and stress and overwhelm and lack of support. And even at the height of my success, I found that I was still burnt out and tired and unfulfilled. In recent years, I've done a lot to cure that and find a better way to exist and be. And that's my goal is to help other women of color generally, but Black women leaders specifically find that sustainable success. That's something that we didn't even touch on earlier in the conversation. We connected and we're partnering in the height of just the wildness that was anything post-2020. And you were right smack in the middle of that. I really admired even from when we were in the trenches together, as it were, on that collaboration, how you continue to show up and lead your people with grace, even though I'm sure you were holding space for a lot of heavy (laughs) at the time we connected. So I just wanted to highlight that as well. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that time was really heavy because I got hired a few months after the murder of George Floyd. So that was the, I think, height of the fervor to make some sort of progress on racial equity. And so there was an immense amount of pressure on organizational leaders and, of course, DEI leaders to help them to undo some of the historical wrongs. And I also, thinking back on our specific collaboration, how I I love that it's come back to making sure that you're getting leaders who are in those rooms to continue to make space for themselves. The heart of DEI work, as you said, it isn't for the faint of heart, but I think in community and remembering that we can hold space for one another in this way and like the way that you're striking out now with Bossy and Blissful and the way that you've led throughout your career, the way that IIP hopes to continue leading in the future. It really just depends on what we've been talking about throughout, right? Which is this idea of collaboration and remembering that we can't all do it ourselves and we do need help. We do need external support. We do need people to hold us up. So I'm really excited to see what this next chapter holds for you. And I can't wait to continue supporting you. And obviously Team IIP feels the same way. (laughs) I love it. You all are wonderful. And it's I'm grateful to have you in my support system because we absolutely can't do it alone. And even as now that I have my own business, I will continue to need help and, and support from external partners and friends. So I love it. Amazing. You know, you've seen really every iteration of DEI over the last 20 years, and especially over the last three since we first connected. What would be your final words to somebody who was listening to this? And they were like, all right, I listened. I heard the lessons. I'm in it. What do I do next? What would you share with them as the final word before we sign off? That's such a great question. Gosh, I we could do a whole episode on this question because there's so much True. advice I have. <laughs> But I would say probably two things. I would say, one, don't get discouraged. DEI is very much a long game and it's going through a transformation. The pendulum is swinging back. There's always a backlash to progress and we're seeing that. So I would say don't get discouraged. DEI might need to look a little different than it had at the the height following 2020, but does not mean we let our foot off the gas. Secondly, I would say what I find really exciting and where I think practitioners should kind of lean into is the equity space. I think that that if you can work with a company and whether you bring in an external partner that is really 
experienced in this, but it's really that equity. And I would also say inclusion because to me, they go hand in hand, but focusing on the experience of everyday employees. I think DEI, it's easy to, particularly from business leaders, I think practitioners, we know when things are becoming performative, but it's hard sometimes to get leaders to see that. But oftentimes there's a focus on the flashy and the big and the events and the recruiting side of things, which are all part of a comprehensive strategy. But I think moving forward, if we can continue to focus on the everyday experience, so how do we get leaders to behave more fairly? How do we change policies and processes that affect employees like salary negotiations, performance management systems, even time off policies, things like that, that we know have an uneven or inequitable impact on underrepresented groups. If we can focus there, that's how we move the needle long-term. I love that. And ultimately, it's like you said, right, that these are steps. Progress takes time. There will be different iterations, but as long as we keep moving, it'll still mean forward. I really appreciate you taking time with us today, sharing your experience and your wisdom with us. I wanted to make sure that folks knew where they could reach out to you and where it would be the best place to follow the work that you're doing. I love it. So you can always find me on LinkedIn, um, Regina Lawless. You can follow me on Instagram at regina.lawless. And then you can check out my website, bossyandblissful.com or reginalawless.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Kay. So there you have it. That was Regina Lawless, the former DEI lead at Instagram and Meta, founder of Bossy and Blissful, and one of our esteemed client partners. We'll be diving into more examples of folks we've worked with over the years, so stay tuned for those stories in the coming episodes, and you can also check out episode 115 with Anthony Papini over at Active Campaign if you haven't already. Now, as always, if you'd like to learn more about how you can partner with us at Inclusion in Progress to deliver strategic guidance on diversity, equity, and inclusion for your team or company, to create greater psychological safety, inclusion, and innovation in the future of work, head to the link in the show notes, or you can always email us directly at info at inclusioninprogress.com to schedule a no-pressure consultation call with myself or our team. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode.